On today's show, I'm interviewing Trevor Blondiel, the founder of Operations Kickstart and host of the podcast Mindfulness Manufacturing. Trevor uses mindfulness techniques to coach manufacturing executives so they can better lead their companies. The idea is that if his clients become more conscious of their feelings and their current behavior, it will inspire sustainable change in how they work with others and lead. If you're interested in the topics of coaching and understanding yourself better, I think you're going to like this episode. This is Swarfcast, the show that helps professionals in precision machining excel in their careers. I'm your host, Noah Graff. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.graff. P-I-N-K-E-R-T dot com. I am very honored to be with Trevor Blondiel, founder of Operation Kickstart and host of the Mindfulness Manufacturing Podcast. Welcome to the show, Trevor. Thanks, Noah. I'm ready to go. Excited to be here. I had the privilege of being on Trevor's podcast uh, a month or two ago, and it's an excellent podcast. It's one of my favorite times being interviewed. And now, um, you know, after after really getting to know him, I had to put him on the other end. <laughs> so let's get started. Give me a quick summary of Operation Quick Start. Operations Quick Start. We work with manufacturers to connect the top to the shop floor. Uh, you know, Noah, uh, I, I ran manufacturing plants for 25 years and I made a lot of mistakes <laughs> and a lot of battle scars and did a lot of, a lot of actions well. And, uh, in 2016, I, I went off and, and started this to help solve the problem of disconnect. And often we have great owners of manufacturing plants and businesses that really enjoy their teams and want to do well, but they get disconnected. And that's the problem that, that we solve. And uh, everyone has great intentions, but sometimes our intentions don't land with the perceptions of others. Give me just a little bit. I'm, I'm really curious about the detail of uh, for 20 years, you managed factories. So you were the top dog, the executive CEO? No, more of the plant manager, like running the department. Yeah. So more um, running the operations. So I ran materials and then ran production and, and looked after hundreds of people uh, in large, large manufacturing industries. 
What manufacturing industries? Uh, so we were in auto, automotive, and we made uh, we made frames and an assembly process. So uh, big metal, twenty foot long pieces of uh, <laughs> of manufacturing, and a lot of coordination. And for for wonderful companies that that really taught me a lot about uh, culture and how to connect with people. Uh, even though I, I had, I have lots of good stories of where I went wrong and how I improved. And, uh, yeah, part of my goal is to, you know, help my former self, uh, accelerate their, their leadership skills and get more connected and, and help the whole manufacturing industry. So would you say as a plant manager, you were a natural or did you have a lot of, a lot of really hard lessons? I'd say that I had great intentions and a good person. And made great connections with people and, and, and had great success. And then when I look back, there were certain times where sometimes I would lead the way that people wanted me to lead. And I would kind of stray away maybe from my core values because I got focused on results, right? And I get focused on uh, sometimes coming out of my own core values and how I showed up because how we show up impacts on how people feel and how we make people feel determines the extent they're going to engage with us. And when the pressure comes on, whether it's safety, quality, productivity, sometimes we'll default and feel that pressure and then put more pressure on others. <laughs> and it's kind of the opposite of what we need when we're under stress. We don't need more stress, but sometimes that's what we do. And when I look back, there's times where I shifted my behavior based on my environment and the stress of what's going on. And, 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 and I wasn't helpful. Um, fortunately, uh, I have, have a lot of leaders that I work with that are forgiving and still talk to me, most of them. Very interesting. So what caused you to decide to, to pivot in your career? Was there one thing? It was a combination and it definitely was a lot of personal growth for me. I started reading more on emotional intelligence I started doing mindfulness practice. Uh, I really started exploring and heightening my own self-awareness and seeing that the way that I thought people saw me wasn't always that way. And I started learning more. And we had, I was blessed with some, some great training, some great mentors and coaches, which you know just helped me identify just shifting a couple of behaviors uh, could make such an impact for others. Because we have this effect on everyone, right? Like what somebody can walk into the room and they can make you feel lighter, right? You could, they could, you, you have more hope. You have more of a vision that, okay, yes, th there's good energy that's come in the room. And, you know, it's like that first hour in manufacturing. If you start with a good vibe and you start with a green hour and everybody's organized and aligned, there's a better chance you're going to have a better production day. Uh, when you come in and your boss is, you know, maybe not in a good mood and then that, that kind of spins off to the rest of the group and, and you come in hard, um, it, People don't respond to that all the time. So, so was some of the influence for you wanting to make a change that the people above you, you didn't see as mindful enough? Because, I mean, you work with the top, top people, correct? Well, yeah. So now I work with usually owners and, and general managers of manufacturing plants and, and just helping uh, influencing where they want to get to because the ideal client for me and working is with someone with some level of self-awareness because people will say oh trevor you gotta go over and help that plant they're a hot mess <laughs> you know just so they got turned over were you frustrated at how the the top above you was handling things and that kind of made you want to make a change no i think i just reached a point 
or, you know, you come to the same building every day and you can keep progressing in the organization and and we need leaders to do that. And, um, you know, company had a great uh, progression plan and it could, could keep on running plans, but it's a blessing to be able to coach other leaders and see that transformation. And I just felt a calling that there was something just different for me. And uh, most people aren't going to quit a job where you have probably, you know, we just secured a 10-year contract when I resigned. And uh, people are like, well, why, why are you resigning? Like, this is like, you know, you got, you got it made here and it's, it's great benefits and, 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 you know, you don't have a business plan set up. <laughs> so, but hey, I just felt that, you know what, I have, I have this calling and I, I, I think I'll personally grow and I'll be able to help others grow. And there's other plants that needed help and they didn't have the access. So there's a lot of plants that don't have a big corporate structure that has a great foundation of learning and training and development. And I really thought, okay, so this is the interesting part. I thought that these other manufacturing plants needed more structure. They needed the quality systems, right? Because some of these smaller plants didn't have like the lean systems and the 5S and the continuous improvement. I thought, oh, that's the problem. I need to go help these plants. So you thought you were going to consult people on that? Yeah, I really thought that, you know, there, there's plants like, you know, get quality rate the first time and workplace organization and 5S, because I'd go into some other plants that would make us parts and, and kind of give them some feedback. And I kind of realized, hey, there's a business here where I can go and help these other plants. And so when some of my first projects were more uh, tactical, I would call it. And then when I got into it, it's like, well, there's someone in that building that knows as much as I do about 5S. Yes. But, but they're not they're not implementing it. So that really wasn't the value that I could bring to the table. I'm like, okay, so what is it? Why don't they have a great 5S program if there's somebody in there that understands the concepts? So they they had the technical knowledge, but they couldn't connect it. And often we as the senior leaders get in the way. Very interesting. So give me a few more examples of, of problems you're trying to solve in the workplace. So one of one of the clients that um, we're actually putting together a white paper, we're going to publish a white paper on coaching and emotional intelligence in manufacturing. And that should come out the end of this year. And it's a case study of, of, of a plant that we worked with. And there was a, a project, a capital project of uh, creating some automation and some manual processes in this plant. And they brought me in to kind of help with lean a little bit there. And this is where I started to get some of my aha moments. And the owner brought me in and a wonderful owner and he knew he needed help. And this is, this is, this is where you need to be at. Like if you know, you need some help, you're ahead of the game, right? Cause you have that self-awareness saying that, Hey, I know I'm a good owner. I know I'm a good leader, uh, but I think it could be a little bit better. And when we got in there, uh, yeah, we, we brought in some training around five S, but really there was some disconnect among the leadership group. And uh, there, there was what I learned right away. It's kind of like when they started to make decisions and try to do improvements. Well, we got to check with the owner first. You know, we got to we got to go back and check because he might undo this or you know just different conversations, right? So there was that disconnect. That was the culture. Yeah. So really, it was having some conversations, yeah, around the culture and and super great people, great intentions. Like there was there wasn't bad leaders. They just weren't connected. And so it's really having that deeper level of dialogue of like what's driving that behavior and understanding that and having, I I like to call it in manufacturing, less monologues, more dialogues, right? We have, we like to tell people what to do, uh, but we don't want to talk that much about it. Trevor, I just want to tell them what they need to do. Why do I not need to do anything else more? Well, how's it working for you? 
Okay, so so mindfulness. Ah, <sighs> mindfulness. Yeah, let's. I mean, it's got some different meanings. You know, when people say mindfulness, I think of meditation. I want you to get into you know a little bit of analysis of what mindfulness is, what's the standard definition, how do you see it, and then um, I want to know what the process is like. So first, give me give me the general definition of mindfulness, and then then tell me how you use it and what the heck it is. You have a lot of manufacturing followers, so I can speak best in that language, and I, I like to have it as where your two feet are, where you're planted right now, whether you're listening to this or you stop and you think about this during the day, is your mind where your two feet are, All right? So are you present in what you're doing right now? Because often we have 10 different tasks on our mind and we're, we're jumping from task to task or, or from conversation to conversation because we have a lot we need to get done. And, and for me, mindfulness is taking that breath, realizing that right now I'm talking to Noah, I'm not checking my phone. I'm, I'm just focused on listening to what you're saying and really getting your mind in a mode that, and this is where the practice comes in, where I'm not thinking about what I want to say next. I'm actually just taking in what you're saying. And to me in, in manufacturing, and that's why we started the podcast is because we need more mindfulness in manufacturing. Uh, a lot of what you're talking about is is listening. Yeah, li listening and being mindful of your own behaviors as well. So it's a combination. So it's not just listening. Right. So you're not self-absorbed. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, okay, like sometimes we may be in a situation and I've done this before. This is still mindfulness saying, Noah, <laughs> I know you want to explain this to me right now and it's important to you, but to be honest, I I've got to I've got another issue across the plant here and I can't concentrate right now. Could I come back later and we can pick up this discussion? Like I could come back in a couple hours because to be honest with you right now, I'm just not present because I've got, I've got to address this first. Would that be okay with you? So that's one of the things you might coach somebody to do to like step back, understand what's going on and then explain it to others, articulate it to others. Yeah, like just kind of catch that yourself in the moment of, so another good one is, <laughs> that always cracks me up and I haven't seen it too much lately, but it's like, you're typing something on your computer and someone walks in to talk to you and you can say, yeah, I'm just yeah, go ahead. I'm listening. I'm just going to finish typing this. Okay. So that is the opposite of mindfulness, right? So that's like not being totally present. I'm going to half listen Where to you're you. trying to multitask, which is impossible according to scientists. Yeah. You can switch task. But you can't multitask. You you you, yes. you you can't you can't totally be uh, focused on on two different things. So it, it's just that really of, you know what? If you're going to be talking to me, uh, somebody said that about uh, it was about uh, Bill Clinton. And it was uh, there was a quote around there, and 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 they said, well, what, what was he known for? And and there was some some people had written about that is that if you met him, he made you feel like you were the only person in the room. I've heard that. Yes. Okay. So that that is, and when I heard that, I'm like, man, if someone said that about me. I'd feel pretty good. And I know I don't do that all the time. So, but if I could do it a little bit more, you know, that, that's, that's what it's about. It's not going to make it perfect. It's just saying, Hey, I'm going to be a little bit more mindful about this. And if someone comes and talks to me, I'm going to make sure that I've got their full attention. So part of what you're doing is making people more mindful, what's going on around them, what's going on within themselves. 
And then is another aspect of what you do just kind of giving them like social conventions and um, tricks of social psychology of how people might react to things and things they can do to, you know, I think like, for instance, what you said about uh, somebody's being pestered and they have a lot of stuff going on. I think it's beyond just being mindful of the stuff you're going on. I think you have to teach them, okay, this is how you could talk to somebody for them to respond that's something that you also do, isn't it? Yeah, because you'll hear me say that so mantra. It's some practical advice in addition to mindfulness is also practical advice. But sometimes that's a lot of what somebody needs to know. Like, oh, people don't like when you say that. Oh, Eureka. <laughs> that's happened to me. Absolutely. That's, that's really interesting because that makes sense as a coach because you're – I mean, you're coaching about a lot of things for people to succeed. And it's a good point, Noah, because at the time you just don't know. So maybe you're aware of it, but you don't know what you should be doing different. And there was times in my career where it's kind of like, you know what? It doesn't feel great that I just going to put the pressure on this maintenance tech on, on afternoons. And if it doesn't feel right, it's probably not. And And, you know, I could start to have that that area of like, hmm, that's probably not the help that this person needed. And I probably, instead of putting the pressure on, on, on an individual saying, what do you need? Like what's going on? And, and if we can ask more questions and give less direction, we're going to move our industry in a much higher level. So this reminds me, I'm not going to say an epiphany, but this was like a huge thing that happened to me. Uh, probably 12 years ago, I was dating somebody and, um, you know, I, I thought she was great, but she wasn't the easiest person to be with. And uh, I, she was telling me about something with her job and I wanted to give some advice. <laughs> oh. And... Um, well, so it's a combination of the woman saying, I, I don't want advice. I just want you to say, I hear you hear me. But the bigger thing was that I said, well, I think you should do this. And she goes, oh, you brought out the shoulds. And I was <laughs> like, I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm just trying to be nice and help you. And she's like, you never say should. And I don't even know. I don't know if she said you should never say should. Or she just said should is like. It's like a dirty word. And um, I was like, whoa, like it just, it blew me away because I just thought I was just being a caring boyfriend. And then after that, I was like, okay, I'm not never going to, going to try never to say you should do that. And it makes total sense because people feel like you're judging them. Mm. So I bet you that's something that you instruct people on. The should rule. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't gone down that. that, that is, that's a great example. And, and we can learn so much. Cause that was, it wasn't necessarily that I wasn't mindful of, you know, her pain and me needing to help her. I was mindful. I just didn't know about the social convention of the whole thing. Like, oh, you just don't say that. That's verboten. And that may just not have been the right time for her. And that's part of it is just realizing that. But it's just that that awareness of it doesn't matter what our intentions are. What matters is how it lands with the other person. True. 
True. Let's talk a little bit. Let's go back to the shop a bit. Millennials, it's it's a huge part of the workforce now. How is this stuff that you coach people with extra important for working with millennials? They, they're more sensitive to understanding why things are being done, correct? Well, I have a 23-year-old son. And I've is that learned... millennial or is that <laughs> is that Zoomer? <laughs> well, all I know is that he has a unique perspective that I learn from. And whether it's millennial or whatever label we want to have on it, every generation is a little bit different. And that, that it's actually what manufacturing needs. Because the workforce, we want to bring in younger people. We need younger people, especially in the trades. And they are, they're going to be more curious and they're going to challenge a little bit more, right? It's not going to be the come to work and, and, you know, I'm getting paid a good dollar. So I'm just going to be quiet. So there's a greater need to add value. It's a different expectation than say the baby boomers who were content with, you know, putting your head down, working hard and being a good worker. It's, there's a different expectation now, correct? Yeah, for me, it's gonna it's gonna push more of what we need. It's gonna require us to have more dialogue back and forth, and it's gonna be less direction and more conversation, right? Of understanding, like, what's the bigger picture here? And when you when our whole team, when your whole team understands, and they're not just coming in and they're not just loading parts, they understand the bigger picture. They understand how they connect to the vision. And they understand how their value is connected to what we do for this plant and this community. You don't have to motivate people. You don't have to push anybody because they're connected and they're driven. So this is, to me, it's kind of like this is going to help the industry because it's going to push us more to have deeper conversations and explain things more. And then guess what? We're going to learn more and we're going to be better from it. And people are going to progress faster. We need it. It's our, I always call the operator is our subject matter expert. And no matter what your role is in the organization, we all add value and, and it's, you know, we just have different roles and we all need the same information. But you specifically focus on the top dog uh, versus middle management or say, you know, people in the trenches or, I mean, sometimes the, sometimes the owner is down, you know, getting oily in the machine, but there would be a place to coach other people in the shop as well, correct? But oh, you, you, you believe more in the sort of trickle down aspect of it? Well, my experience has shown, and because I've had people call me and they say, hey, you know, I just need some help in this plant because our supervisors aren't really getting the team members engaged. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I do. I do coaching with supervisors, 100%. So let me ask you, who's coaching the supervisors? Who's responsible to develop them? Well, the managers are, but, you know, we're good. We're just busy and we just need you to come in and, and help, you know, help develop them. Uh, but then there's a disconnect. Right. So it's kind of like, well, hold on a minute. I understand you're busy, but where's your skill level at, at coaching and developing the team? Because I've made the error of coming in and thinking that I could come in the middle and make that difference. The challenge is if your leadership who gives you direction is not on board and they don't want to really get better at this. They just want the supervisor to get, so we, we don't have to deal with this. Well, it's not going to sustain because the behavior is going to kind of go back to what your leader is, is pushing, your values or your company. So my most important aspect of making sure I work with the top is that they're demonstrating the behaviors. And if I can come in and help accelerate that in a, in a, in a plant, then that's where the fun begins, right? Because 
they're showing that, hey, I may run this plant, but I've, I've got behaviors that I got to get better too. So I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not doing because we all have areas to improve. It must be really hard sometimes if the owner just doesn't have respect and it hasn't had respect for a long time because, you know, whether it's something they really do wrong or just some, a way they're perceived, you, I suppose, have methods for them to not only become mindful, not only learn how to speak to people, but you have methods to try to get people's respect from the people. It's so hard to, it's really hard, you know, to change how people perceive you. Yeah. And the only way that changes is you build trust when, with consistency, consistency in how you show up and, and, and vulnerability, right. And, and showing a little bit. So you, you can, you can be in a, in a tougher situation, but it's amazing when you go to your team and you say, Hey, you know, I know that I've been blowing up in some of these meetings <laughs> and I know that I've probably said some comments that I, I really wasn't proud of later on. And, and it's something that I want to get better at. When you do that, it's amazing how forgiving people are. And if you say, I know I'm the head honcho around here, but I need a little bit of help from y'all. And it's amazing how people will rally around and help when you really are genuine about wanting a little bit of help. That is totally true. I, I just, it just cracks me up. Got, no, I'm good. No, I, no, no, I, I don't have any, uh, <laughs> this is my sure sign. No, when I meet someone and I say, Hey, what are you working on? Like, what are you trying to get better at? I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm pretty good. No, I've been doing this leadership for a long time. You know, I got this down. It's, it's those guys over there that need some help. So it's what like, do oh. you say? To, what do you, what's the first thing you say to that person? Of course, that person is, is going to consult you. Right. So they probably are owning up to something being needed to work on. Correct. Well, it depends if I'm working with that person. So, for example, I've been brought in before to coach someone and they really don't see that that they have an area to improve on. Well, then I don't have permission to work with them and it's not going to work. It's just then it's like, nice to meet you. Um, th there's really no value for for uh, for me to add in this relationship. Hey, listeners, I just wanted to remind you that you can see videos of our episodes on YouTube and other social media. So if you want to see a cool tool or part that was described in the interview, or you just want to gaze upon my beautiful face, you can go to the Today's Machining World YouTube channel. You can also link directly to the videos from the episode show notes. And now, back to the show. Right. So I, I could see that happening where you have some people on management and they're just desperate. And so they refer somebody to you. But that that just can't work because unless the person owns it, unless they have some skin in the game, they're not going to work. You know, I do coaching, too. I have a podcast coach and I have a life coach. You have to pay for that stuff. You have to volunteer yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. Otherwise, yeah. Otherwise, you're not accountable. What do you do? Co have you had coaches? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I uh, or do you now? So I, I'm in a mastermind of other coaches. So we actually do, we, we, and we're all successful in our business and we still do practice coaching. So we will um, once a month religiously. And, and so someone observes and then one person coaches, one person's a coachee because it's, we just know that we want to keep on the top of our game all the time. And if you're never being observed, like you, you need that. Right. And then when I get like right now, I'm, 
I'm taking some training on professional speaking. I, I speak to manufacturing organizations uh, and I'm a good speaker, but I can be better and I need some coaching. And I just know that, hey, uh, I see other speakers and it's like, wow, that one's that speaker's great the way, you know, the way they told that story. And, and uh, so I'm in a program right now getting coached. What's one of the most challenging clients you've ever had? Well, I, I think it's probably and the next question. The next question I'm going to ask you is what's one of the greatest successes you've ever had uh, as a coach in this business? So I don't know if you want to combine that. I don't know. I, <laughs> very likely not, um, because the most challenging person could be what's the most challenging client you've had that was a great success? Well, I think there, like every situation is is a challenge in itself, because when you're working on, on changing behavior, it's hard. Uh, and then there's just going to be those certain moments that are like almost truth telling, right? It, it's difficult to hear that your baby's ugly, right? When you do a survey on a plant and it's not all accolades and that there, there's, there's people that are frustrated and there's an ownership group that I was coaching from a, uh, it wasn't manufacturing, but it was, uh, it was a trades, um, company. Uh, private ownership and uh, their their owners and yeah we did some surveys on them and it was some family ownership and um, some some difficulties uh, just among the relationship among the family owners and then the connections with the people and it gets emotional because oh, yeah. you got a lot of pride your your names on the company and you know that there's a disconnect and you know when you start realizing that you're the problem that's really hard that gets really emotional. Absolutely. Uh, to the point where it's it's hard to control because no one wants to not be liked. So can you think of a specific one or are you just kind of blending it together in your brain? Yeah. I mean, that, that's one that I'm actually kind of thinking through in my mind right now. Right. And and that was that was really hard. Right. So that took some individual conversations that took some conversations, you know, amongst the, the, the family and the ownership of having some some hard conversations of where they're differing. And how they're not helping each other. So it's really kind of like coaching. And I did some dialogue of, um, you know, between the two family members of the ownership of like each of them kind of getting to talk of like, you know, what are you doing that's making it harder for me? And what am I, what could I do better? Um, so I don't impact you in a negative manner. Right. And kind of like be able to just go a little deeper into that. Like, you know, when you call me out in a meeting in front of our staff and you say it like this way, it really makes me feel demeaned right? Disrespected in front of the team. So, you know, maybe next time, if you, you could just pull me off to the side after, and how about you and I have a one-on-one? -on -one? And um, and then they even got to a point where they said, okay, so I want to make this hand signal if you're doing it. And that means stop. <laughs> and then we'll talk after, right? So it, so th that's, and, and that's really hard because it's like, especially when you're family, you care about each other. But at the same time, it, there's conflict. Lots of conflict. So when you're doing with a family, you, will you have several members of the family see you? Um, yeah, it, either it, separate or together. Yeah, and we did we did both. Absolutely, no, you, it, because it's good to kind of like unpack, like because you get your own personal survey. So we do like a 360 report, and what we try to do, like we'll have some of their their, their team members fill it out, their peers, some of their office staff, each other, and what we do is. In a survey like that, we're not trying to figure out, okay, what's all the behaviors that no one needs to work on? <laughs> because we know it's just like a project task. If you got 10 projects, you're going to get nothing done. So what we want to do is, what's the one behavior that's common that if I just worked on how I manage my time, 
right? The, the feedback I'm getting is that I'm late to meetings, that I don't make commitments, and this is really causing a lot of disruption in the company. So if I could just manage my time better, and then for somebody else, it might be just showing appreciation. And you have strategies, you're armed with strategies for these things. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and then we just kind of talk that through and it's kind of like, okay, so what's going on with your time? So, and I'll just ask questions and it's not um, kind of like what you said earlier. So it's not me saying, Hey, you should do this because <laughs> we know that that doesn't work, but I'll ask questions like, you know, so when you do manage your time, you know, what works well? And if I think of the one individual, like he was having a hard time keeping up with these processing, these uh, quotes that only he could do. And it's like, okay, so when's the best time to do it? And okay. So what could you communicate to everybody else? And what ended up happening through the coaching? He said, well, I'm going to go to everybody and tell them between 10 and 12, I'm going to close my door. Unless it's an emergency, I'm going to focus on doing these quotes. And just, he went and asked him for help, right? And, and they were frustrated because he wasn't getting the quotes done on time. Uh, so they were glad to help. Interesting. So that's just, just, just an example and, and uh, just an example of a strategy. Give me a few, uh, few of your favorite uh, podcast guests. Let's give give people a little taste of of what you're what you do. Well, I, I definitely uh, say Ryan Forte, and uh, he was the owner of the fabrication plant at Jefferson Metal Products in Windsor, Ontario, and uh, that's probably uh, and that is who we're writing the white paper on. So that okay, was so that, what what happened in that? So that that's where uh, you know he did not realize the impact that he was having on the rest of his organization. In particular, he had a he had a general manager that was running the plant. And um, yeah, he was not enjoying his job <laughs> because he didn't feel like he was adding a lot of value because a lot of his decisions sometimes got overridden and, and, and they were sometimes, you know, maybe both focused on the same project and not really having that deeper conversation. And uh, today um, they work together. Fantastic. Great relationship. And uh, I should probably get both of them together on the podcast now uh, yeah. because they went from being divided and frustrated but fortunately, they're both, they were both open. This is, this is the difference. They were both open to feedback. They both knew that each other cared and there was, there was a respect level for both of them. But there was just a lot of frustration of, hey, if I do this, uh, Vince was a plant manager. If I do this, Ryan might override it. And, and, but Ryan didn't see that he was doing that. Right. He wasn't doing it intentionally, but as we had more dialogue and, you know, the plant was able to ask what they needed. So it was mindfulness and it was also just hearing it from the other person so they could understand what the other person was thinking. Yeah. And and, and the survey that we did with Ryan was uh, he, he couldn't tell who said what or like you, it's, it's, it's anonymous through the, through the survey. But you get to see some general themes on how do people see him? And he was able to pick up some themes on what could I do a little bit differently to allow the team to feel more valued. And, and sometimes that means just stepping back a little bit, letting, letting your people do what they were hired to do. And you care and you just want to help, right? So you want to jump in there. Uh, but sometimes the hardest thing to do is to step back and just let the team go. Absolutely. You know that uh, I'm very big into serendipity. Mm-hmm. Today, actually, I, I put out my first sort of blog, you know, short form podcast about serendipity. I want to know for you, what you think of any specific serendipitous thing that happened in your life that just sticks out? Or it doesn't have to be like this dramatic thing that changed your life. It could just be, I don't know, something that happened the other day. 
Yeah, I, I, I and, and you had a great podcast coming on with me, Noah, and I believe in the whole universe, right? And, and there are moments in life, they call it equanimity, of like not getting too excited and not getting too upset. And everything kind of happens for a reason. You know, whether it's maybe it's a job that I didn't get, maybe uh, it's a, a job that I did get, and I wouldn't have been able to get this job if I didn't have the other one. Yeah, absolutely. I think when I take the... So give me one example that just comes to mind. I just want to put you on the spot. Yeah. So I was definitely, you know, um, last year I was really trusting that I was going to get a couple of jobs with a couple of major contracts with a couple of these plants, right? And I was working with the ownership group and the, and the management group and, and, and I didn't get either of them. And uh, I, I, was, I was disappointed, <laughs> you know, a little emotional. And it was like, Man, and you know what happens, right? Just people get busy, and 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 different leadership comes in, and and for whatever reason, you know, they, they didn't work out. And then I got a call from from a recruiter looking for a a leadership coach with manufacturing background, and uh, but they were looking for thirty hours a month. And if I would have won those contracts, I couldn't have committed to thirty hours of coaching. And and come to find out that it's just a great manufacturing company. That's that, fantastic. Um, that I'm I'm. I'm having a joy because they're not trying to fire anybody. They're just actually trying to uh, grow some of their leaders. So it's a great company. And I'm learning uh, some of their practices that, that I can share with other manufacturing clients as well and on how they improve their safety, quality, and productivity. Because I believe that you know we're all in this together as a manufacturing community. We, we got to share it and learn from each other. That is a great example. Great. Um, what is uh, what's something recently that you learned or, or a book or podcast, something you listened to that really struck you? Well, the last book I read was The Psychology of Money. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah. And, and one of the quotes in there. Who's that by? Uh, I'll tell you one second. Uh, but yeah, one, one of the quotes in there was, and I can't, I'm not going to, it's not going to be a quote. It's going to be what I took out of it. Okay. And that your happiness is a measurement of your expectations minus your success. And it made me reflect if you if you're always so if you're if your success starts to rise and then your expectations rises at the same rate, then you're never going to be truly be happy because you're always chasing it. So like if you're and, and so that when it comes to spending, like what do you really need to spend on versus w what makes you feel at peace? Like with how much debt you have and you know where and how in your mindset around money and spending. It was Morgan Housel is who wrote it. And uh, he wrote it just, just after the pandemic uh, or just during it. I think it was when it was starting. Uh, but really, the people that were really successful with their finances and when they pass away, it's, you know, it's not the, the tycoons and the, and the savvy entrepreneurs. It's the average person, the teacher, the, you know, the janitor, the, the person that lived a happy life. And they didn't live outside their means and they found happiness in the moment. And and I got divorced in 2016 after after 18 years of marriage. Oh, and, so right when you became a coach. Yeah, right on the same time. <laughs> exactly. And I kind of that was a it was a lot of learning for me in that time period. And I remember I would build a deck and we put in a pool and then we put in a gazebo. And I always thought this that, was before you got divorced or after? This is all before. So okay. this is like kind of like really wanting to make my marriage work, right? Because I, I didn't want that failure. I didn't want to be divorced. And I thought, well, you know, if we just have this, then we'll be happy. You know, and, and it was always 
crazy. And then, uh, so I went, well, I made a little bit more money and, and we had a bigger bonus, then we could go on another vacation and that's going to make us happier. Right. And, and then that expectations just kept on, on rising. So I, I actually published a book report on it because I think it's something that we can relate to, to everything in, in our work life and our, in our personal life. And, and it does tie into mindfulness, right? Like being grateful for just what we have and, uh, and yeah, and just, just that whole stress of, do we really need to spend this or, or can we find joy and just in where we're at? Yeah, no, that's, so how did they, how did they gauge people's happiness exactly? So basically like if you're, it's a mindset, right? It's a mindfulness saying that, you know, I could say that, you know, I'm doing some public speaking, but this other speaker is on bigger stages than I'm on, right? They have a bigger following. I could say that Trevor's got more listeners than Swiftcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I could say, well, you know, Noah's had his out longer or uh, making chips is the number one podcast. So I should, you know, I'm not as happy with mine and I, and I got to get my listens up and it's kind of, like, or I could say, you know what, I'm just really proud that I've, I've kept it going, that I've added value, that I've gotten some feedback and it's just my perspective and I'm not comparing to someone else. And I can just be at peace at knowing that I know it's better than it was when I started it. Um, and, and, and that's really kind of the whole, because if it's always measuring that, well, man, I really hope by this time of the year that I was going to have this many listeners. Well, that, that's not going to drive happiness. So it sounds like what you're saying a lot of is that it's about comparison too. That's a big, a big factor. Like I know they've done these psychology tests where, you know, they've asked people like, would you rather be making a hundred thousand dollars while everybody around you is making 80,000 or would you rather be making $120,000 while everybody was making $140,000? And I think often it's the people prefer the one where they're making more than everybody. There's so many great stories of just different positions, different people. And it's kind of like, oh, like there was a, a speaker that I talked to uh, re recently and they were just, they, they told a story of a woman that was cleaning the bathrooms in, in an airport and she was just singing and she's just has life in her job and, and just, she's happy where she's at. And it's kind of like, well, how can you be so happy cleaning bathrooms? It's kind of like, because, you know, I bring a smile to people every day and sometimes they walk in here and they're not smiling when they leave, they are smiling. Right. Well, there's the thing. <laughs> it's the calling, the purpose, when you said you had a calling, I listened to this other podcast the other day. It was about um, positive psychology. Uh, I'll, I'll send you it. Um, the guy said, there's three things you can have. You can have a job, which is where you go and you collect a paycheck. You can have a career where you're trying to go up in the ranks and make it to the top. And then you can have a calling, which is where you are doing something which is beyond yourself. It's helping other people. It's having an effect on more than, than just you. Yeah. Yeah. And I really felt when I heard that and story. And so when you said you had a calling, I went, ah, bingo. Like <laughs> you've got this glow when you talk about what you do and that's happiness. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I, yeah. And I, I'm blessed to, you know, and privileged to be able to, to serve and work with these leaders in manufacturing. And, and I, and I really like manufacturing has one of the lowest engagement rates and one of the highest pay rates. What, what do you mean by engagement rates? So Gallup did some studies uh, as they do and uh, looked at just different industries. 
And, uh, you know, the average engagement rate uh, was, I may have to go back and correct this in the show notes if I'm not 100% accurate here, but it was around 35%. But what does that mean? That means that when, when they do a survey of, they did a survey of tens of thousands of people. And because that's what they they do, great company. They do a lot of my data comes from their from their company. You know, shout out to them. And then they publish these these reports, these workplace reports. And so they just survey people, you know, on, on a on a scale. How engaged are you in your work? Like how much, you know, do you enjoy working there? And how passionate are you? And they'll ask different questions, collect that data, and and then they'll come out with some percentages of. Like they did a lot of good studies that you can go to their website and during the pandemic and after the pandemic and then working from home and, yeah, it's really fascinating um, the data you, you can pull. And so you're saying they've it, they've got high High wages, but people aren't calling it a calling. No, no, they're, 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 you know, if they look at the different industries and, and how excited people are about like, you know, thank goodness I'm working, you know, it doesn't matter what the pay is, I'd be just working in manufacturing. But a lot of times we're calling people because, hey, it's a good, you know, trades get paid really well in manufacturing and there's some good benefits and, uh, you know, you can be secure for life, you know, financially. And a lot of that is true. Uh, but I believe we can have both. You know, we can create an environment where we can connect to the people and, and we all have value. And if we want to be more competitive, it's not about hiring more people or more robots. It's about the, the people you have in your four walls today are the best people you could have because they're there today and they're there for you. So what are we doing to engage the ones that we have today and be curious about what they're thinking and, and what's going to make their day better? And if we do that, they're going to be more engaged. Like what's, let's fix what's bugging you, not what we have on our big capital project list. Right. And that's your calling. That's really what your end thing you're going for. Mm-hmm. Let's connect. Like let's have some conversation because we're in this together. Well, that sounds like an awesome place to, uh, to finish. I really appreciate this, Trevor. Trevor, um, why don't you tell everybody how they can get in touch with you or see your podcast or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, you, I got a great episode with Noah on mindfulness manufacturing on serendipity. You could pick up, uh, and, going, uh, going to run it on this <laughs> podcast too. So wonderful. And, uh, and just different, uh, people you know, from the industry we, we interview on there. Sometimes it's just experts and sometimes it's, um, experts in the industry. And then sometimes it's just people that, uh, authors of books and, and, and different influencers that I get to ask questions and kind of figure out how can we be more mindful in manufacturing? It's pretty, pretty tight in that conversation. And then operationskickstart.com. I've got a newsletter and, and I'm on LinkedIn and I love to meet people. So connect with me and love to have a conversation. Excellent. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you, Noah. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. Music